This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today we have a very special guest, Mark De La Tour. Mark is founder and CEO of SBD Housing Solutions, a real estate investment firm based in Kansas City, Missouri. He has been investing in real estate since 2002 and has successfully flipped over 1,800 homes in the United States. His property managed firm now manages 650 rental homes. Mark's investment firm specializes in delivering quality rental investment opportunities to passive investors looking to deploy their capital outside of the stock market into alternative investments. The SBD team's mission is to help investors deploy a billion dollars into real estate by 2030. He also loves to invest in multifamily apartment complexes and has successfully raised over $10 million to deploy into assets throughout the Midwest. And we're going to cover in this interview some of the things that he uh, has implemented to help his clients. So, Mark, uh, welcome. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm going to start just by asking, you know, you you were born in New Zealand. And what did what did your dad do for work? I'm just curious. Yeah, my father was actually an airline pilot. Um, he flew the large 747 jumbo jets. And so um, was one of those unusual um people that actually held the same job for 42 years. Uh, he just slowly grew up um, in the airline industry in New Zealand. There was a pilot shortage um, back in the, in the sixties and or late sixties, early seventies. And um, so he jumped on that, uh, just had a passion for aviation. And so the thing that inspires me most about my father is that he truly just lived into um, his passion and just continued to do it and never wanted to do anything else. Once he got on the 747, he said, Hey, it's the cream of the crop and um, you know, don't, there's no going up from here. So he continued and stayed on that jet for about 20 years. When you were growing up as a kid, did you notice yourself having an, an entrepreneurial bent of some kind? My parents really valued education. I actually went to a uh, private boarding school in New Zealand where um, I think uh, that's where my leadership traits were developed. Um, the prefect system, the house system. I think most people in America would probably, uh, you know, relate it to something you see like on Harry Potter, but um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, it, it was an interesting time. So at the age of uh, 13 years old, um, I went to a boarding school, came home just every other weekend and spent a ton of time, you know, kind of being charged with the responsibility of running the school, uh, you know, my junior and senior year. And they really encouraged um, leadership. And that's something that I think I, uh, you know, I'm a second born, I'm a middle child. I don't know if you read Dr. Kevin Lehman's book, uh, the birth order book, but the second born is typically extremely, um, you know, motivated, aggressive, uh, you know, wanting to hard charge, prove themselves. And uh, that certainly rings true. I was always just trying to keep up with my older brother. Yeah, I'm a middle middle child too, with the same, same uh, mentor, if you will. My brother, you know, I was like, I'm never going to catch up to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you ended up in the United States. And what was the what was the process that got you here? Yeah, I was a, a fairly decent tennis player um, that attracted some attention from some of the universities. Um, blessed to be able to get a, a scholarship to University of Missouri here in Kansas City. And so played um, for four years on the on the tennis circuit here um, for NCAA. And um, yeah, they 
got got my undergrad and stayed on as a grad assistant, got my MBA. So um, from there, uh, you know, it was um, an internet, my degree was in business and then international business management. Um, you know, I often kind of quip, you know, that I don't really use my degree at all because I got straight into real estate. But having said that, you know, it was such a great base, such a great um, education to go in and and uh, you know understand how business uh, works at a, at a pretty young age. But I was one of those few that got on that accelerated executive MBA program. So I came out at a very young age with an MBA. I think I'd go back now and look at those classes very differently, Bruce. But um, at the time, um, you know, I just kind of I knew I wouldn't go back. I just wanted to get it out of the way. So I just knocked it all out in five years. Who around you was into real estate? How did you get into that? My uncle, I think I would credit, um, he just gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know is cliched now because just so many people were inspired by that book, but that was back in the year 2000. And um, I read the book and it just kind of spoke to me. Uh, my father had introduced me to the stock market and it was like watching paint dry, especially on the, you know, the New Zealand stock exchange for crying out loud. I mean, there's just so little movement. Um, wasn't really appealing to me, but real estate I could understand. And um, there was a couple of people, um, you know, obviously going to a private boarding school is like the number one school in New Zealand. And my parents, you know, obviously sacrificed to put me through that school. But a lot of my parent, uh, my, a lot of my best friends, parents were like in the top 10 rich list in New Zealand. Um, you know, we were kind of middle, middle upper, um, you know, family, um, but, you know, hanging around with parents uh, of my best friends that were just, you know, multi multi millionaires and and it you know for a young kid it's you're influenced by that it's aspirational and um you know they were not arrogant people they were great people and they were just so giving and, and of their time and a lot of the the dads were in real estate in some form of fashion so i think you know coupled with the the reading that i was doing um at the time i think that's probably where i had had piqued my interest how old were you when you got married i married young um for I, I perspective, um, I got married in 2001. So I was 24 years old, um, just celebrated our 21st, actually our 21st wedding anniversary is today. So congratulations. That's yeah, great. Thank you. That's very cool. So your, your entrance into real estate and your, and getting married is very closely tied. Yes. Yeah. I had a very supportive wife. It was kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny story, Bruce. Um, there's a couple of instances in my life where I've asked for forgiveness, not permission. And, um, I went along to a, uh, I answered a newspaper clipping. Uh, that's how old I am, Bruce, on newspaper. Um, but there was a newspaper clipping that said, come learn how to buy foreclosures on the courthouse steps. And um, so I went along, um, you know, and obviously it was a, an upsell. So it was a free seminar. Then they pitched you on the $5,000 course down in Springfield, Missouri, a guy that uh, I don't think he's no longer in business, but he was educating in that space. And I mean, gosh, he taught me how to, you know, research trustees deeds, um, how to literally go to the the uh, recorder of deeds office and pull up the microfiche and understand how to, you know, basically do a title search effectively is what I was doing because title was so inefficient, they couldn't get it done in time. And so I learned how to kind of research title, understand if something was clear and, uh, you know, research if something was in a first or second lien position. And so came back home to my wife and said, hey, I spent $5,000 on a credit card money that we didn't have at the time. <laughs> And uh, so, but she was, you know, at least supportive enough to say, you know, if that's what you want to do, then, then uh, make sure it counts. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing wife. Um, <laughs> there was a story that I heard you tell about the Florida house that you bought uh, <laughs> and without her knowing about it. So I'm just going to tell you, tell you, we are of the same ilk. 
I, te- I was teaching Bible class and I, I decided to, to put the women on one side and the men on the other side and ask them this question, what would your reaction to be if you came home and there was a new car in the driveway that you didn't know was being bought? And my wife was in the class. He says, you got to be kidding. I come home every day and he buys a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. It goes on in our household. But uh, yeah, we've been blessed. Well, at that time, five grand. I mean, what what was in your mind to say, yeah, that's a that's a good idea? Because that's a big you know, I was I saw my friends, you know, graduating from university, going to KPMG and Sprint and Hallmark Cards, um, Ford, Cerner Corporation, these big corporations in Kansas City. And it just I didn't get the I mean, I'm I just didn't see myself sitting behind a desk answering to someone else. Um didn't really know what that meant uh, because, you know, I was very young and, and didn't understand what, what it, being a business owner meant. I just knew that that wasn't for me. So the thought of kind of rolling up your sleeves, buying a, a deal, uh, rolling the dice and, and seeing if you could flip a house um, had some kind of appeal to me. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I'm not minimizing it. It was a massive amount of money that, um, you know, we, we had to work on, on paying back. Um, but I just value education. I think one of the things that um, I was taught at a young age is to the, the value of good education. And I certainly knew that I didn't want to go in and make all the mistakes in real estate without getting some kind of education first. And I think if there are people out there that are listening, how do I get into real estate? The one thing I would tell them is if you've got less than you know $20,000 um, in the account, first go and invest in some kind of education. There's so much online training or YouTube courses or, you know, small investments now from real estate educators, go learn first before you go throw the big bucks at an investment strategy that certainly paid dividends for me. Well, when you bought your first property, it wasn't connected to the trustee sale. So let's talk about that one first. And then I'm going to, then I'll follow up with some questions about doing actually the trustee sale business. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate with it. I was uh, going to church with a guy who was a new home, just got into new home construction and they took a house in on trade and said, Hey, you know, we want to get rid of this. We're not in the in the business of um, of flipping, um, but it needs some work. It's a uh, happened to be a, a, a Japanese uh, owner that just didn't want anyone to go through the house. So, you know, one of those many many instances that people are that do off market deals would understand where there are some people just don't want their house on the MLS. And so, um, I had to kind of take it sight unseen, but um, I obviously had pictures. And so, you know, bought the house, you know, drastically under market value. And at that time, rolled my sleeves up, kind of got stuck in and was able to, uh, to flip the house and kind of make, you know, 25 grand, which at the time was, you know, equivalent to, you know, uh, basically nine months of a salary of what my friends were making, you know, sitting behind a desk. So I thought, (laughs) man, if I can do that, maybe I can repeat it. Maybe I can take five grand of that and pay for this course. (laughs) Yeah. At that point, I'm out of the doghouse and I was able to go on. (laughs) Um, People that maybe haven't been in the trustee sale buying business is that's a very unique place to start because what you just said is front loaded with education and also work. So you have to check out all these properties. You're doing the title search for all these properties. Then you have to physically go see those houses. The odds of you getting into those houses are not high. Right. High risk, high reward, indeed. Yeah. I mean, for those that, that are unaware, these are houses at the trustee sale that technically, until the hammer falls, are still owned by the actual occupant. So, very respectfully, you have to knock on the door. Oftentimes, that would result in a get the F off my lawn <laughs> type, right. uh, response. Um, 
which is always humorous when you end up buying the house because they're, you know, like an officer of the heads buried in the sand. And then you say, hey, you know, would you please now get out of my house? Because exactly. I own it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, essentially it was, you know, a an adventure. It was a chase. Every day you would wake up. It's a great inefficiency in the business model because back in the day, Bruce, they would announce the opening bid for sale sometimes the morning of the sale. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, we would be on constant alert where if, if you know, the mortgage, uh, it didn't matter what the mortgage was, the mortgage could have been $100,000 on a $140,000 house. Well, that wasn't enough spread for me, but suddenly the opening bid comes in at 20,000. Right. And oh my gosh, I got to run to the house because now it's a deal. So run to the house, check it out, knock on the door, look in the windows, try and get some information. Does the foundation look good? How's the AC? Give you an indication of the furnace. And then you run to the, quickly get back to the courthouse to get there in time when the hammer falls and no one else is there. You get it for $20,000. I mean, the rips were, were unbelievable. Well, the, but the, the dry, dry runs were many. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, for every, you know, uh, 20 houses you drive by, maybe get one or two. Um, so then it was a matter of trying to put some systems and process around, um, that what I saw was a massive opening because obviously I did this. Um, in theoretical sense for a couple of weeks before I said, man, this is really going to work. So I would run to the house, check it out, and then go to the, the courthouse steps and there'd be one or two guys there. I mean, it was just no one was doing this. And so I saw a massive opportunity and a big opening in that space. Now, obviously, at the same time, turn around and got my license. So I you know, was at least kind of dabbling in the real estate space looking for MLS deals as well. But I soon learned that there was um, a massive opening and just committed to it. I have been always been the guy that when I see an opportunity, um, I tend to go a mile deep rather than a mile wide. So I said, okay, hey, look, I can make money in this. If and I become the expert and the biggest buyer of the courthouse steps in our county, then then I'll be able to, you know, I'll try and dominate that space. And so I put systems and process in place, hired my first VA um, to start doing all of the tedious um, work of you know, checking out title and, um, you know, running searches and checking on opening bids and putting together spreadsheets of the upcoming opportunities so that I could do the work that took a little bit more skill, which was knocking on the doors, talking to people, seeing if the home was occupied or vacant and making the decision of a go, no go. Yeah, that's great. Now, were you adept at repairs? <laughs> not at all no i uh did one house um i think pseudo myself um obviously you know outsource the carpet and the roof and those kind of things but you know i'd paint a house myself quickly learned i'm like look let me go you know when you make you know your first 25k um and you're like look i could have paid someone else to do the work and still made good margin um i think there's just the highest and best use of talent and i quickly found that that was it was not mine so um i like to say that i don't want to rob the the guy that has joy, finds joy in mowing lawns by doing it myself. So I'll try and outsource as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely agree. Have you set up a system to where you don't, are you still buying at trustee sales? First of all, that's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, um, foreclosures dried up, as you know, we just haven't seen many and um, auction.com. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the company had a massive impact on my business model in 2000. 15, that kind of came around. And by 2017, they were providing up to date financials, um, and actually fake financials on their website on a on a uh, frequent and updated basis. So before where I was logging into, you know, Millsap and Singer or Shapiro and Wiseman or South and Associates websites to actually get the data myself. Now they were doing that throwing it up onto a website advertising the heck out of it. 
and doing fake opening bids. So they would advertise just to try and generate people to come to the sale. So they would have a $200,000 home where they would set the opening bid at $26,000. Of course, when you bid $26,000 and a penny, they would then say, oh, having heard of third-party interest, we now raise the bid from Wells Fargo Bank up to $175,000. So, But what they were doing was generating a ton of interest in that space on the courthouse steps. And so now, I mean, goodness, the, the competition is just like what you would see in San Diego or LA or Phoenix, where you have you know, 20 to 30 you know, ready, willing, and able buyers with cash on the barrel head, as they say, um, to pull the trigger on any day. So it really ruined that business model, which was not a forever thing anyway. But Luckily, I pivoted and joined a, a mastermind group, uh, Collective Genius, which you are familiar with. And uh, I was able to use my collaboration and, and partnerships and friendships through that group to allow me to pivot and, and go find off-market deals without re the reliance of the courthouse steps auctions. You'll appreciate that we interviewed the uh, owner of that company, auction.com. Okay. And, and shoot him out on air for the... Uh, false overbids that they were doing at these auctions. I appreciate you even more, Bert. Yeah, it was quite, quite interesting times. Um, frustrating. Oh, can you, you can imagine I'm, I'm like running around town trying to, you know, do this, get to the house because you see a $26,000 being bid, you get an auction and then they raise, you know, it wasn't even a, a, a true bid. The bank was already willing to pay a uh, hundred thousand dollars more than that. And so it, it got to be completely frustrating. I didn't like that they were bidding all the, all of those bids, uh, you know, were shill bids. They were, there weren't other bidders. And I just said, what you're teaching me now, they not only took over the trustee sale business, but the auction of REOs. And so I said, I'm one of the few people that will go see all 400 houses. And I sit in that audience waiting for some of those to drop through the cracks because I did more work than anybody. And you're not letting that happen. You're going to dumb down your audience. You're going to get rid of the me's in your audience. And that's what you're doing, just so you know. So anyway. You and I, we have similarities there. I mean, literally, I would hustle and grind and look. I would just never, even the random attorneys that, that would not, um, you know, advertise on the, through the mainstream newspapers, um, we would find all the attorneys. We were just hyper detailed and would never let an opportunity go. We did look at hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to find the ones. And you're right. I just got to the point of frustration where I finally walked away and said, enough's enough. Um, I'll go. So in 2017, I think we, it was the last year where we bought over hundred homes. And in 2018, I think we bought maybe 30. And then now we don't buy, we were down to zero quite literally. You're not buying, you're not buying, well, no, not at courthouse steps, but you're doing the courthouse steps. Yeah. So yeah. We, the courthouse That's steps, we used to buy over hundred a year and now we're buying zero on the courthouse steps and still right. buying a couple of hundred houses just off market. Yeah. Well, that's what's unique about the business um, is that, see, that's what I use for, I use charts as well, just so you know. So charts tell me what, uh, when I go out the door, what activity should I be doing as a buyer? How do I find deals? I'll take a look at a chart and say, okay, it's not time to pursue trustee sales. It's a time to do mailers or time to do land or whatever. So it's a, yeah, that's great that you're, you've morphed your business to a, to a, um, a more sustainable model. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Norris Group Real Estate Radio Show and Podcast. Please stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Mark Dillatour. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. 
The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.